When you're smiling, when you're smiling, when you're smiling, when you're smiling, and the whole world smiles with you. Smiles. And when you're laughing, when you're laughing, oh you're laughing, oh you're laughing, and mm, the sun comes shining through. shining through. When you're crying, when you're crying, you bring on the rain. On Stop, the rain. Your Stop your sign. Won't you be happy, happy again? again? When you're smiling, keep on smiling, and the whole world's smiling. Hey, well, it's Thursday night. And we're going to be talking about grief. <laughs> so, of course, we're starting with a little bit of smiles. Hey, you know, it's not going to be all doom and gloom tonight. I think we're going to have a, um, a really, really fun, introspective time. And uh, and I personally, I know that the, the, the guest that I have coming on tonight is really a wonderful person to talk to. But I'm looking forward to your calls afterwards because this is just a, uh, it's a, it's, it's a part of life, grief, loss, and I think that it's a little bit more important now because whereas that's always an individual thing, there's something going on globally where everybody's being forced to give up something that we had only a few years ago for something new, and we're being, you know, these. Uh, catastrophic sales pitches about what the world needs to be changed into because of one dire need or another. Hell, whatever. But guess what? We're here to keep each other company. It's a Thursday night. It's the third day of August 2023. It's the last show, official show of the week. We come back on the other side of this weekend. I think it's going to be a... uh, a really fun time for another uh, really awesome week. It may be a Saturday night special next week, too. We'll see what I'm feeling like this this weekend. I don't know. Been a uh, little, little, uh, little topsy-turvy lately, but I think that we're getting a lot of good work done. So her name, our guest, name is Michelle Ridley. And uh, I got her link in the description of this episode, and she is a grief therapist counselor we're going to talk about this and um wonderful work that she does but also just the topics that we can cover a really great range and um and yeah of course your input is very valuable to me and we will get that afterwards as far as all of the announcements go just go to quite frankly dot tv over the weekend thumb through some things over there there's always something to read about we have wonderful wonderful blogs pieces that have been designed to stand the test of time it's not like going to a news site and seeing headlines from 10,000 years ago Uh, they are all very very interesting we'd love to get more of you commenting on those blogs and I would also love for some of you to consider becoming a sponsor and also getting into the forum with that said I'd also like to just shout out everybody who was there for session one of the book club for the devil in the white city by eric larson that was so fun last night and this is it's only going to get better now it's only going to get better so um you have time to catch up jump in on this for session two if you are having trouble finding a book there's there's actually ways to find it online there's online libraries and things that you can do to uh, to acquire at least just the text if you wanted to read it in pdf form it's up to you um but just uh Consider it because we had a, a lot of fun. And after this, 
Uh, the book club for the fall is in October. That will be with Jay Dyer, and we are going to be reading Mario Puzo's The Godfather. So it's one after another. I already have some really great ideas for 2024 reading, and I I just pray that you guys and gals step outside of your comfort zone and do more good things like this. All right. All right. Into the grab bag we go. Let's just do some stuff, shall we? First one up is from CNN, so you know it's good. Drought-stricken Mexico is turning to a controversial technology to make it rain. I wonder if Jim Lee has read this. As an extreme drought grips Mexico, leading to crop losses, a lack of water, and higher food prices, the government is trying to bring desperately needed rain by turning to controversial technology, cloud seeding. In July, the country kicked off the latest phase of a cloud seeding project that aims to artificially stimulate rainfall. It is targeting 62 municipalities clustered in its north and northeast. Oh, I wonder what this is going to do to the American South. You know that this is just going to be taken somewhere else. You, you can't pinpoint this technology. Um, it's always going to affect something else down the chain. Let's see here. Um... Uh, with the aim of combating the effects of drought and contributing to the recharge of aquifers, according to the statement from the Ministry of Agriculture. Cloud seeding is a technology that first was discovered in the 1940s. Since then, it has been used in around 50 countries, including the United States and China. Mexico has been experimenting with weather modification for more than seven decades. However, some scientists remain very cautious about the effectiveness of cloud seeding and warn that it is not a solution to drought. So, um, there's more. He said, this whole idea is not creating clouds because we cannot make a cloud. We cannot chase away a cloud. These officials were saying, but it's trying to get a larger percentage of the water that is processed in the cloud down to the surface. In mid-July, more than 40% of Mexico was in moderate to extreme drought, according to the National Weather Service. The country has also been sweltering through the severe heat wave that has killed at least 249 people over the past four months. Oh, the climate crisis is just accelerating. It's just accelerating. And all those people, all those, the 249 people who died there, um, I'm sure they're, all their families are going to be encouraged to, to say and to believe that if it weren't for climate change, my so-and-so would still be here today. Therefore, vote for so-and-so. Anyway, here's a little unusual stuff from Unusual Whales on Twitter. Listen to this. This is according to MetLife Investment Management. The institutional investor, or institutional investors, that's what we're talking about, BlackRock, things like that, um... Institutional investors may control 40% of U.S. single-family rental homes by 2030. 40%. According to MetLife Investment Management, that is very close to half of single-family homes are going to be rentals. By 2030, that's what MetLife Investment Management is projecting at this point. So it's, um, I mean, think about what that means. 
Now, also, also because I, I was I shared this with Grace, really graceful. Talk about this, and she shot one back right at me. And this was from, this was from yesterday. Unusual whales as well. The question is under conspiracy or uh, under the the subreddit, the conspiracy subreddit on Reddit. Why would a sitting U.S. senator be betting his own money against the U.S. markets? What do you mean about this? It was reported yesterday, either by rumor or something. I, we'll we'll see. But it was reported yesterday that Senator Tom Carper is shorting the American economy. Thomas Carper bought thirty thousand in uh, PSQ and ultra short of the Q index on July thirteenth. He hedged and shorted the past uh, in the past with the great results, um, and just right now he's doing it again. So a sitting congressman is actually betting against the the American economy, shorting it, trying to make a little bit of money. If everybody, if we're going to go down, why not make a little bit of money, right? Um. Now, as far as shorting goes, I don't know too much about this, but I I know the mechanism a little bit. It's one thing if you can just see the writing on the wall. It's another thing if you cre- help create the situation. And I don't know very many people who are very um, optimistic about what, where we're going. I mean, that's just on an economic level that a very small percentage of people take a particular interest in with as far as the minor details goes. Most people will say, oh, the economy seems strong. I saw that the, the you know, the, the stock market is soaring to new highs on MSNBC the other day, or I was watching Jim Cramer, God forbid. But, um, you know, that goes and mirrors other things that we're seeing right now. The shakiness and just the overall culture. For example, uh, media, the mirror, mediaite, others, they're saying the loud, the, the quiet part out loud. Pretty much Donald Trump may die in prison if guilty of any of these election charges that they're throwing at him in all of these districts with these judges. Obviously, you have to appeal. You can go up the appellates. You can go up to the Supreme Court and who knows, but they're looking for a kill shot here. It's not just about 2024. This is attempted murder. I've said it before. I'll keep saying it. Every indictment is attempted murder from people who are actually, actually the problem, the biggest problem. Here's from Mediaite about today, because Trump was in court today, apparently had a little bit of a stare down with that Jack Smith vampire. Headline, Trump threatens retribution for federal charges. Quote, soon in 2024, it will be our turn, he says. Former President Donald Trump promised his supporters that his re-election to the presidency would mean revenge on President Joe Biden and the Democrat Party for his ever-increasing legal troubles on Thursday. He said this, Look, it's not my fault that my political opponent in the Democrat Party, crooked Joe Biden, has told his attorney general to charge the leading, uh, charge the leading Republican, by far a leading, Republican nominee and former president of the United States, me, with as many crimes as can be concocted so that he is forced to spend large amounts of time and money to defend himself, argued Trump on Truth Social. The Dems don't want to run against me or they will not be doing this unprecedented weaponization of justice, but soon in 2024, it will be our turn. Now, Mediaite goes out, goes on to talk about all the all the charges and, you know, New York and sexual assault. It's Mediaite after all. But it, what, 
ultimately, for his sake and our sake, I hope he gets, he's able to do that. I mean, would you guys complain if he actually was elected? Especially if he was incarcerated in some way this time next year and was elected anyway. How that happens, I don't know. I don't know. At this point, with with as little uh, change that has been happening on on um, <laughs> on the state level, it actually might be a little bit more suspicious that he does win. Outside of the fact that we are we overwhelm whatever actual support on the ground that they they do have, we overwhelm it. The reality overwhelms the projection 100% if people show up and there are more people involved and there are more people watching things like Hawks on the uh, the ground level and there's, if they go and play the, the trick-or-treat voting game, you never know. But imagine he wins the election from a place of incarceration. Would anybody out there really complain if he actually went to war this time around? If he actually went to war, they like to say that he went to war against every norm and every value that we have when the four years that we was there from 2016 on. But would would anybody out there really be, uh, would really complain if that's the story we had? That he wins from a jail cell, is inaugurated, pardons himself, and then actually goes to war with everybody. That would be, I'd sign up for that movie. I would sign up for that. Absolutely. This is just sick. It's sick watching it happen. I don't know why anybody watches television for drama anymore. How do any of those those cop shows survive? The, the CSIs, there was 10,000 CSIs back in the day, all on air at the same time. Those, those New York City cop shows. There's so many. Th- I don't know how any of these shows actually survive. Why is there interest in it? In that weird kind of, you know, uh, cheesy dramatization of things when we're living this right now. You know? But I guess there's a market still and there's still people who like it. But I don't know why with all this. Anyway... I have a bunch of stuff that I'd love to do with you guys um, in a little bit. I'm going to talk about the thread that we have open, uh, the calls I want to take from you in the second half. I want to get you all involved with that in some way, shape, or form. And then we will lay the groundwork for our guest, Michelle Ridley. She'll be with us um, in just a couple of minutes. So don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right, right back. and stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride!
fine. Fine, I'll give you Roy Orbison. Oh, yes. Oh, you wish me well, you couldn't tell. Well, who knows where we go tonight? You know, when we talk about grief, there's a bigger picture, there's a smaller picture. We'll talk about the bigger picture tonight elsewhere. I mean, look what we've been living through the last three years, and it continues. Um... You know, you think about you think about all the things uh, that we've gone through in the the 20th century. What, what what was a world war really all about? What is that situation really all? What is the prolonging of war? Is what is it really all about? It's about whose spirit is going to break first from all the grief, from all the law, the generational losses, and um, and even right now, what's going on in Ukraine? Uh, Obviously, there's a lot of people who contest the numbers out there because there's there's some poor souls who who have uh, taken the company line on Ukraine and the nobility of the cause against Russia and all that stuff from the beginning. But, you know, that is a mass human sacrifice that is going on right now. Thousands of miles away in Ukraine. It's a mass human sacrifice. There's nothing else that's coming out of that. The world war is the same thing. These schemes are ultimately designed. The things we talk about every night and that we try to we fortify ourselves against. So we, we take other end arounds to discuss the root cause and how do we de- how do we defend our spirit? Because it's all designed to break spirit. It makes the participants just weary. And broken at the grief of so much potential, just blown away in the trenches. And for what? For whose benefit? It's uh, you know, it's apocalypse fatigue with COVID, with the climate change, with racism, with sexism, whatever they're running out there. Someone wants us to say uncle and give up. Someone wants us to say uncle. And uh, you know, I know many of us aren't going to do that. No, no. And you know why? You know why? Because that is on a. That's on the big picture. And I think that it's because as individuals, as individuals that we are, grief is something that is just what we are always facing. We have to move on from losses, whether it's just saying goodbye to childhood, embracing uh, adulthood, responsibility, you know, to, to look back on the carelessness of the old days, but then also to see people in your life that were just dashing titans become old and firmed and die um, to see these are things that we, we carry around with us as individuals and and for the most part it makes us strong it makes us strong over time and what really keeps us together is that we become the stewards of the new generation and we're able to impart new things um, we're in part all, all of the, the things that we collected and we pass on and we there's actually a coziness to the cycle of life especially if you don't you don't subscribe to the idea that this is all there is, that there isn't something beyond this, that there isn't a, there isn't an intelligence, an intelligent design that we are not just disposable, that perhaps we can't really comprehend it. We all have our, our competing theories and whatever, but it's just not disposable. So, um, 
It's a very personal thing, and unless you're a sociopath, you're not immune to it, grief, that is. We all just deal with it differently. And I wanted to bring this up because it's something that I think a lot of you know this person, Ray Bradbury. He's the author of Fahrenheit 451, which maybe that'll be a, a future book club pick as well. But here's something that Ray Bradbury wrote about his grandfather's death, and I had been waiting for a time to bring it up, and of course, boom, here we are. Here we are tonight. Here's what Ray Bradbury said about his grandfather. Um, He said, when I was a boy, my grandfather died, and he was a sculptor. He was also a very kind man who had a lot of love to give the world, and he helped clean up the slum in our town. And he made toys for us, and he did a million things in his lifetime. He was always busy with his hands, and when he died, I suddenly realized I wasn't crying for him at all, but for all the things he did. I cried because he would never do them again. He would never carve another piece of wood or help us raise doves and pigeons in the backyard or play with the violin the way he did or tell us jokes the way he did. He was part of us, and when he died, all the actions stopped dead, and there was no one to do them just the way he did. He was an individual. He was an important man. I've never gotten over his death. Often I think what wonderful carvings never came to birth because he died how many jokes are missing from the world and how many homing pigeons untouched by his hands he shaped the world he did things to the world the world was bankrupted of 10 million fine actions the night he passed on now wow i i, I think i think we can we can all I, I mean, I mean, that's why Ray Bradbury is a, a writer. This is the brilliance of writing. These are things that are not unique to Ray Bradbury because everybody in this, this audience knows what he's talking about. At least I hope you do because that means that you've at least met one person worth remembering and worth mourning when they, when they leave. But, um, but this is the, the, the beauty of writing first of all, because it's, it's articulating something that's very hard, hard to articulate when you're dealing with a loss. Grief is messy. And in many ways, it's just an inarticulate thing that we go through. It just, you, it just steamrolls you. And it pops up in so many ways. I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of things that I want to, to talk about. And why not talk about it with a person who does this for a living? Okay. And she is a, uh, frankly, that's right. Michelle Ridley is a frankly, when I bring her on, you're going to be listening to an audience member. She is one of you. Now, Michelle Ridley received her master's degree in mental health counseling from Harris University and is currently working on her doctorate, conducting a study on grief recovery and writing a book. Michelle also provides in-person grief counseling services for the Plumas, Sierra, and Lassen counties of California, as well as worldwide worldwide counseling services with uh, conference call technology, Zoom, things like that. She's also the Salvation Army representative for Eastern Plumas County, as she has been for the last six years. She was a program director of the Cal OES-funded rape crisis program for Plumas County for six years, as well as other youth programs. Uh, Michelle believes that the grief recovery... That grief recovery is the fastest, most useful method to vastly increase global sanity and individual actualization. 
Boy, oh boy, is that not something I want to talk about tonight. Michelle, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, you know, I, I've been waiting for this all summer, to be honest, and uh, <laughs> I, I knew the time was going to be right. So, Michelle, let me just first ask you, yeah. uh, why grief? Grief is a very messy business when you're dealing with it on your own. But w what called you to help others shoulder their grief? Well, you know, um, as a rape crisis program manager dealing with um, sexual assault victims and rape crisis victims, um, we, you know, they have grief and it's in, encompassing them. And so we reached out and found a program that really um, supported that and supported the clients. And um, I watched people change their lives and not and not be a victim anymore. And, and, you know, what really I think sparked it was I've had a lot of dogs. I always have dogs and, you know, doggone it, they pass on. And I remember this one dog I had, her name was Kiwa and she was like 19 years old and Damn. we had gone into town and she came back we came back and, and she was dying. And, um, I held her in my arms and she had so much fear in her eyes. And, and I, the song um, Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles came to my mind and I started singing it to her and she passed away in my arms. And in that moment, I realized, you know, grief is huge and loss is impactful. And, um, you know, that, I don't know, something just drew me to it. It just, uh, it drew me to it. Was that, so that, that was the, that was the catalyst for you going to school for this and now you are studying for your doctorate. That was the catalyst right there? I mean, it's a powerful one if it is. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, you know, and it seems silly, but dogs are so important. You know, there's a reason they're, they're, you know, spelled backwards as God. You know, they teach us unconditional love and, you know, they're always accepting of us. And sometimes, and I think in today's world with, um, you know, people being all, you know, kind of out there, um, dogs bring comfort to those people that can't find connection with other people. You know what I, I, I pay a lot of attention to these days. I'll get lost, especially in the, the, those last couple of hours before falling asleep. I'll just, I'll be browsing things. If I'm not reading a book, I'm browsing I'm finding things that might be good to talk about, or I'll just have videos take me from one lily pad to the next, and suddenly I'm watching a, I don't know, it's a holiday classic video, an old music video. I'm going into the comment sections, and I'm spending a lot of time just reading the comment sections, and what you, what you see there, I, and I remind myself this isn't new, it's just the internet lets us reach out a little bit easier, and yeah. we're able to observe a little bit easier what is otherwise pretty closely guarded and hidden beneath the facades that we put on when we leave the house. And in the comment mm -hmm. sections, especially of music and holiday videos and everything else, there is just so much grief. There's parents grieving for lost children. There's children grieving for lost parents. And, I, and um, you know, it's uh, beneath the surface. Everyone is dealing with something. So... You know, people. Have, some people have better support systems than others, but do you think, I guess this is the question I want to get around to, do you think that the average person deals with grief adequately? No. 
No, you know, um, grief is, you know, natural and we're wired to grieve, but we don't know how to. And so, you know, we tend to do things to numb our pain, you know, um, whether it's turning to drugs and alcohol or, you know, workaholism or, you know, I mean, there's just so many different things that we can do to take our mind off of the pain of loss. And so um, we we're kind of conditioned to do that. And, you know, um, and then it becomes something else, right? It, then it becomes an addiction and then it becomes, you know, narcissism or, you know, depression or anxiety, uh, you know, whatever. So, yeah, there's there's I do not believe that um, we we as a society know how to deal with grief and loss. And I think we mask it a lot and we say i'm fine um i'm doing good no it's fine and and we're really just lying to ourselves and and um you know that can be cognitive dissonance you know here we are feeling terrible horrible inside and um saying i'm fine and and cognitive dissonance is you know holding two opposing thoughts in your brain at once and it can cause insanity and 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 that is um, that is what we see right now. <laughs> I'm glad you got there. I was actually going to ask you about cognitive dissonance and grief because it's a, it's another thing that, that is experienced on a, on a personal basis. And then yeah. now what we're seeing on a national and international basis, um, yeah. some, some are correcting for, uh, correcting their dissonance by chalking up, um, things to you know just living and learning you, you know there's a lot of people who are are comfortable with saying my trust is now broken with doctors with politicians with news anchors i was on board i was duped but there are other people who have plunged themselves deeper into various delusions um so i was wondering is cognitive dissonance a form of grief in the way that you're, you're really being pushed to deal with the loss of what many uh what may have become a very significant belief system Right. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the way we lived our lives before COVID, right? Oh, yeah. And um, the way we could, you know, just the, the, broke my heart seeing like, you know, grandmas and grandpas in, you know, senior homes and having to hug or sit outside the window or, you know, it was just everybody's, I mean, I'm waiting for the tsunami, Frank. I'm waiting for the tsunami of grief clients that just, you know, want to move through and beyond grief and are tired of being a prisoner of their sorrow. And um, I mean, we can change it. We can heal ourselves and we can, you know, I always say, if you cannot deal, you cannot heal. So you've got to heal it. You've got to look at it and you've got to say what needed to be said. You've got to forgive. You've got to um, apologize and and that's not like saying calling up the person and and saying those things or if they're gone or if they're alive still or maybe it's a, a strange relationship or something but um, you know it's really important to face it and to look at it and to move through and beyond it I um, I see I, this, this is going to bring me to that question of short-term relief which, as yeah. you were, what you were listing before, I have to imagine that's a, a lot of what it is. Things that could lead you to, um, you know, addiction, just coping. Things that are all surface level, numbing agents, versus yeah. long long term healing exercises. Now, l last year was um, 
was a well, was a pretty challenging one for me too. But the one thing that I feel uh, was really new for what I for 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 me was really reverting to in a religious way and finding. You know, a lot of people will will take bad years and they'll say this is proof that there is no God. And I found tremendous comfort in that. But beyond faith. I know that as in a physical sense there we need to exercise there are there is a lot of there's a lot of power in writing letters for closure things like that what are other things as far as long healing long-term healing long-term exercises to actually deal and face um, things in the past that maybe have not been properly dealt with what would be some examples of those versus short-term numbing agents so short-term numbing agents would be like um, things that take the pain away in the moment, right? But it's always going to be there. The pain is always going to be there. So you're just putting a Band-Aid on the wound, right? But it's just festering underneath that wound, right? And so um, the long-term effects would be looking at each relationship that has affected you. And everybody's going to be different, you know? And every relationship is different. And so looking at each relationship and, and, and really looking at it honestly with yourself and your part in it and, um, you know, looking back on how, what happened in the relationship and were there things that needed to be said that didn't get to be said? Were, were, did you not talk to them for five years? Were, did, you, did you not go visit them when they were in the hospital and then all of a sudden they passed? So like identifying those kind of things within that relationship and realizing that you can't change the past and, and you know, maybe, and, and obviously you can't bring the people back if they've passed, but you can get right with the relationship, take off the rose-colored glasses if you, you know, we tend to put people on pedestals when they pass, even though they were like angry Uncle Joe, you know, but, and, and when they pass, they're like, oh, he was the most amazing, you know, so that's like having rose-colored glasses and being able to take off those rose-colored glasses and look at the relationship for the person they were, for the part they took in your life and, and being okay and saying goodbye to what was, right? And saying hello to what will be now. You know, and, and, you know, and that I think stems from different relation, religion, religion beliefs, you know, religious beliefs about like, do people come back? Do, you know, are the spirits always with us? You know, people feel their parents, um, especially when, um, you know, they go through this uh, process with me. A lot of people come back and say, you know, they've never had dreams, but then they had dreams of their loved ones saying goodbye. Like, so like I, I can see uh, uh, argument for loved ones sticking around until we heal ourselves because our loved ones don't want to, you know, um, see us be depressed and not be able to get out of bed and, you know, not go on and not live life. You, you know, know? I, there is a, there's something about that, that I, obviously we're talking about other realms here. So uh, yeah. uh, who, who, uh, who really knows, but I, know. I, when you, when you talk about somebody who is dying, it's one thing to say, I'm going to, I'm going to just make right with whatever it's, it's hard if you believe that there's something that you need to make up for. I don't know. Uh, I think it's a little bit more haunting and daunting uh, an idea to say goodbye to somebody if you know that you have most of maybe like what if you were 
the real rotten one? What if right. what if the person who died was always emotionally available to you and you treated them like trash and then isolated them and and really you you were the one who who needed to be forgiven and suddenly you can't talk to them you can't you can't right. have it you can't have a, gra- a gravestone can't forgive you so yeah. um, you know those are the things that I think really haunt people um, mm-hmm. and maybe it's time management so I I don't know I, I maybe in some ways <laughs> maybe in some ways there's a way to 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 make right especially if it was angry uncle joe who made your life miserable you could i can see how somebody could release that a little bit easier than trying to get forgiveness from the dead um that's that's something must be haunting for people well i think then that's when you you know forgiveness isn't about the other person forgiveness is about you and you know you need to forgive yourself for being that shit, right? Excuse my language. It's all right. You need you need to forgive yourself. And yes, you can't you cannot say, you know, you're sorry to that person or you apologize. Um, but you can you can forgive yourself for being that way and change yourself, right? Like not be that way ever again. <laughs> Right. I and, guess you, and when I guess you can you can try, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean people can try, right? And because we can all change. We can all become something better. And um and and that is about going within. You know, I say if you're not going within, then you're going without. And that means healthy relationships, you're going without um trust in certain instances, you're going um without, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this then. And as I said, um, last year was one of those years that everyone has from time to time. And I obviously, as you grow older, you have more of them. I lost a few big figures in my life. Some suffered more than others. And I feel Mm -hmm. like the, um, that year after when you deal with, when you're talking to people who are dealing with, with grief on the level of death, that year after someone you love dies is sort of like the stations of the cross for 365 days. I mean, the last time, you know, this time last year, I didn't know what each day was going to bring. I was going to the hospital. I was being there for people I loved. I was trying to do the best I can. Uh, but, you know, and I'm always, is there a way out of this? Can they turn it around? But every day, is it going to be up? Is it going to be down? Is this all over? But here I am now, looking back, uh, calculating. I'm, I'm now able with this, this kind of sense of omniscience of what I know what happened. I know the hour of my stepfather's death calculating how much time a person has left and just in your head the the clock ticking down this time last year especially that that year after is it uniquely human in your experience is it a uniquely human thing to contemplate traumas and losses from the past and feel it as if it were fresh wound every time yes it is absolutely definitely i think there's a book out there called the body holds the score and so, you know, our bodies remember everything. And, you know, I, I, I've, in my work, I've realized that, you know, a lot of people have trauma and, and a lot of people have grief, but not everybody that has grief has trauma, but everybody that has trauma has grief. And so when you work through your trauma and you do the, um, you know, the process of working through the relationship and, you know, you can't, you can't change the past. You can only be better. And, you know, 
like I said, every relationship is unique and, and, and especially with like, you know, trauma victims, they can't, they can't undo what did, what happened to them, but they can do something different and not traumatize other people. They could work with trauma victims. They could, you know, turn their, their victimhood into becoming a warrior for a change, mm. you know, and, um, as, but, but see, you have to deal with your loss and your trauma and loss of trust and loss of innocence. If that's the case, you have to look at that and move through and beyond it before you can help other people. And a lot of people find themselves that have had loss and, you know, lost loved ones and they find themselves busying themselves and, and helping other people because that makes them feel better. But they're still, that's the band-aid, right? They're still not dealing with their trauma or their loss. You know, that's an inner, that's something you have to do inner work with. Uh, yeah, I can, I, I can definitely see that. And, you know, you're talking about the, being able to accept you can't, test, you can't change the past. But there is something else. What about, what about a situation where the past is the thing that is coveted and nobody wants to change that? Um, I, I'm seeing a lot. We had a couple of different shows recently about um, different angles. We're, we're approaching nostalgia from, from different angles and analyzing it. So what, what are your thoughts on the relationship between grief and nostalgia? Because I, I, love, I love getting into nostalgic topics. To, to, I love talking about the good old days. But I also make sure that it is not at the expense of the moment. Sometimes it's a it's a clarifying exercise to see, uh, you know, what we can improve on and, you know, what was just something that was appropriate in a certain time and place in our lives. But other things that are maybe deliberately getting taken away from it. I, I find really a lot of fun in the nostalgia. But again, the Internet can g give you a really raw look into what is usually right below the surface in people and where I see nostalgia uh, proliferating through channels on Instagram and YouTube, and they're just bringing you back to things, um, to feelings, to to aesthetics. I see people expressing a lot more of they're, they're mourning a lot more in the in the the comments rather than celebrating, and so I see that there is a maybe it's not a dark side to nostalgia. Maybe it's just a uh, maybe it's just a a reflection of what people think about how how twisted the present has become because usually looking back through the old family photo albums is is uh yeah there's some pain in seeing people you miss but it, it's always very nice and and it revives you i feel like nostalgia has a, a mournful effect these days for a lot of people too yeah i i agree with you on that i think that when we're thinking back nostalgia is kind of longing right longing for what was longing for the past and and when we think about you know, past events or past relationships or, you know, my husband brings up a lot um, when he was younger, he lived in San Diego and he remembers, you know, being at the, you know, park, the local park on Sundays and everybody played volleyball and, and barbecuing and, you know, the old, you know, and, and, and we're just not, and especially the last three years, you know, we're just not allowed to go outside or, you know, and, and be with people and and I think that the the longing of way of the way it used to be and I think that you know if you can if you listen to a song and you feel like from the past and you feel like the wave of emotion come over you and you start remembering and you start feeling it and 
then you start remembering of where you were at that point Mm -hmm. in time you know maybe the first time you heard that song you were with your first girlfriend and you know maybe you broke up and that song takes you back to that moment and so yeah it and and if and if you get a body response to that in most cases that can indicate some unresolved grief that maybe you need to look at that relationship and and you know accept it for what it was and accept for you know what it is now and you know move through and beyond it and i keep saying move through and beyond it because you can move through and beyond loss well that's all, to that, a place where how i mean because <laughs> everybody that's where it, the the rubber really meets the road because right. uh, we I, I think every every person who's watching this show has become a a, a sort of amateur therapist for many friends and families in their lives and they've yeah. they've used the same terminology the real question is what where where does the rubber meet the road with moving through something like that are you just picking up better healthier habits are you reading new yeah. books are you like what, what do you like seeing people doing well um giving up habits that have kept them numb right um you know, changing who you associate with. Maybe you associate, you know, misery loves company. Maybe you're hanging around with a Debbie Downer and it continually makes you, you know, in that space. So you, when you're in that space, you think about all the losses and, um, you know, it's also doing the grief work, right? You looking at each relationship that has affected your life and, and, you know, accepting what was taking responsibility for your part in it and you know taking the rose colored glasses off and you know not bedeviling them anymore you know um healing yourself acknowledging your feelings and acknowledging how the relationship affected you and how the death or the loss affected you and being okay with that mm-hmm uh, what do you think about mood regulating drugs? I know you're going for your your doctorate. So, I, I, are, what do, do, is this one of those things where you have? If you're able to start writing prescriptions, what would is that anything you would ever consider? And and what do you think this is a big hindrance on people, or are there acceptable places to to uh, work them in? Yeah, I've actually um, had to you know withdraw from working with clients that were so drugged up on like lithium and antidepressants that they couldn't, you can't do that work. You can't do this work um, and be numbed out, right? So, you know, obviously I'm not gonna become a doctor and, you know, prescribe drugs. Cause I, I think that that's, that's what's hindering our communities right now. And, um, you know, you could something could have happened at such a young age, and and a loss occurred, and you you swept it under the rug, or you had to be strong for others, and you moved forward, and you forgot about it, right? Like it's hard to imagine that people could forget about a loss, but sometimes there's so much pain involved that the only way we can do it is by cutting it off, right? And like a limb, right? And and so. Um, you wake up one day and you're, you know, it's like 30 years later and you're depressed and you don't want to get out of bed. And you, so you make an appointment with your doctor and they're like, oh yeah, you're depressed here, take some pills. Right. And so you take the pills and then you're comfortably numb and you never went back to the root of why you started feeling depressed. Because if you don't deal with grief and loss, it will eventually, in my opinion, 
come out in physical form, right? So, you know, it'll it'll become anxiety, it'll become depression, it'll become manic behaviors. And 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 that's what we see today. Well, I, I want to talk to you about a repressing repressing thing because I guess that that is a form of repression what you're saying. I had yeah. um I've been receiving some emails from people uh, about this particular topic, and I'm, I wonder if, if many more will come in after the show. But here, I would love to ask you about all the different unexpected ways that grief is unlocked in your experience, or any if you have any examples. For example, I, for example, on my end, I had a close friend of uh, of mine, a friend of the show, tell me in the last couple of days, because she knew this show was coming up, that her grief over her father's sudden death when she was 26, so this was years later, came out suddenly and unexpectedly in an acupressure session. Yeah. Uh, she said, I said, well, you know, I was asking more questions. I, I said, all right, so w was there clarity on exactly what it was, what was going on there? She said, it was a direct hit on my lung meridian. Grief poured out, I howled. It was about six months later. I was a physical wreck and it all came out. So I went to acupuncture instead and resolved it. The clarity was instant. So, I mean, there, there's acupuncture and mm -hmm. acupressure that has somehow unlocked emotional grief that was just trapped inside the body. And she knew exactly that it was unresolved things from her father's sudden death from however many years before. Um, what other what other ways have you seen something like that just spill out of a person that is not in a what you would think would happen in a traditional uh, session with a counselor? Yeah, well, I can uh, I can confirm that I as a I was a massage therapist before, so I would um, you know which kind of ties into the grief work because I you know always find myself counseling people. And, um, you know, they would get on my table and they'd be all fine and happy. And then I, you know, massage a certain part of the body and they would just become emotional, you know. And like I said before, the body holds the score. The body remembers everything. Every organ in our body remembers certain, you know, emotions. And um, other ways people like, you know, maybe going to a funeral, you know, um, going some people, you know, I, I had a client who could, anytime someone died or passed on, she was a mess. She couldn't, she couldn't, she'd pass out, she'd cry, she'd, you know, and during our sessions, she, someone died in her family and she had to go off to a funeral. And she was the only one that held it together and she didn't realize, you know, what was going on, but she got back and she was like, I, I guess I was the only one that wasn't crying. And it was like she had, been able to process um, grief in a different way. And, you know, grief will come up when you're in a relationship and, and, and someone says something and then you, you know, get flooded with, you know, um, remembering and, you know, maybe a smell triggers it, right? Maybe the way someone touches you triggers it. Um, maybe a hug, you know, or I mean, so many ways it's, and it's so individual because everybody's different. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, it's grief is going to affect everyone differently and everyone is going to experience loss and grief in, you know, different aspects of life. Um, you know, grief isn't just about dying and divorce or breakup of relationship. Death is, you know, grief is so much more, you know. And like I said um, in our first call, I, I, I kind of wanted to do this little um, 
little uh, experiment. Okay. If we can. Sure. And so, like all of you people listening, um, I want you for a moment to just close your eyes and imagine a beautiful garden, and that's your life. Your life is a beautiful garden, and you can have any, you know, nourishment, any beautiful flowers you want. And then all of a sudden, I want you to picture grief and loss as weeds. And then I want you to look at your garden. Now, if we haven't dealt with our grief or our weeds, right, um, our garden is going to need some tending. And that is, you know, what we do in life. We just keep going. We accumulate grief. We accumulate the weeds in our garden. We'll get to it. We'll work on that. I got to work on that. But in order to have a healthy life and a healthy relationship with others around you and a healthy relationship with yourself, you have to heal these pieces of you. Well, in, in many yeah. cases, in many cases, it seems that you 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 have to know which pieces are broken too. For for yeah. for, for example, my friend, uh, if it if this was the day before her acupressure, um, uh, her acupressure session there, and you did that exercise with her, she probably would have just seen a garden with far less weeds, and then all of a sudden yeah. somebody squeezed her thumb, and uh, she found a boulder right beneath the surface of the soil. I mean, so there is. There, 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 that, I guess that's the real thing there is is being able to identify something that needs to be and it needs to be really worked on, acknowledged yeah. and uh, and exercised as it happens so that they aren't just water under the bridge, but it collects somewhere. That's the real thing. It's, you know, there's there's no there's no real. um the understanding mourning and grief is just something that should be basic education for life on earth if if we were if we had a sane world you know if you yeah, live yeah. if you live long <laughs> enough you're going to grieve a lot but we're in the situation over the last especially in the, in the last few years a very very yeah. unique situation what's going on and uh, and I don't think really anybody knows what to do except to disappear into smaller creature comforts and of course there are people who deal with it very healthily they have their family they have uh, exercise but they're still i don't i don't know if i resolve if i have resolved all the things that i went through last year very well i'm yeah but uh well so part of it is part of our work is that we um we timeline all of our grief all of our losses right so because like all those things that we've forgotten about so we we actually timeline it and um and then we start working on each we take each individual relationship and loss and work on that individually so we're making sure we hit all the all the really important parts of us that feel broken and we start identifying them because like you said how do we know right well we don't know until we look at it right and that takes work right and it and, but it's a very this is a very visual way to do it and it's very um kind of organized so because grief is unorganized right it's not it's all over the place right so um this kind of brings it together so we can see what needs to be worked on first understood i have a um i have something over here from you another little bit of information i have that you developed a you've developed statistical analysis which has yielded some interesting results including male grief over circumcision and abortion 
Now, I, I would love to know about w what you compiled and what the results are, because when it comes to male grief in general, like I said before, um, crisis centers are almost always female. Um, when there is a, a, a child dies, obviously the, the, the condolences goes out to the family, the parents and everything, but most of it centers around comforting the mother. Uh, men are, are often overlooked in, in times and situations that bring on incredible amount of grief because we're just expected to, to shoulder on and to, um, and it, it's just the way it is. But I would love to know a little bit about this, especially since it focuses on male, uh, on, on circumcision. So yeah. what do you got on that and abortion too? Well, I think that, um, you know, as a society, we're conditioned to go with the, go with the norm. Right. And, and I think that there's, that men don't talk about, you know, grief and the loss of their member part, you know, that gets taken away. And sometimes it, it, when we when we take that uh, foreskin um, to be blunt, um, sometimes it can disfigure the male genitalia and um, and it and it desensitizes it on some level. And so you know, I know my son regrets me doing it. And um, as far as you know, I don't know a whole lot about uh where people can go for that but i think it's becoming okay with what you have and um you know you can you can mourn that but you can't change it so you know what i'm saying yeah. but as far as as far as you know male men and abortion or females and abortion you know i i think i mentioned to you that i've had a lot of male clients that didn't realize that um, they were affected by an abortion that an ex-girlfriend had, that they didn't have any say, that maybe that was their only chance of ever having children. And, you know, that's a huge part of society. You know, we, we look at the woman and, and how, you know, it's her choice, but there's other, there's another person involved that doesn't really get a choice. And, and, and not a lot of people talk about that. And, um, so yeah, I mean that. Did I answer your question? Yeah, that, that well, that's that, that's <laughs> well. As far as the, the statistical, like what what you develop to to um, to bring forth these these results, uh, how much you are finding men that are a little bereaved over yeah. circumcision, but definitely abortion. I'm glad that somebody's yeah. talking about that because uh, again, that's another thing. There, I have had yeah. I've had uh, quite a few ladies over the years call into the show on on certain nights under certain topics and and talk about how they have had abortions that they think about all the time and they are in mourning over and they regret but uh again there is just something that is once again overlooked what about all the men who wanted yeah. to be a father of a child that was what was overruled by um by by uh by the mother, by just one half of the equation. And then, of course, nobody thinks about what the opinion of the child is as, every, right. as everybody's de de uh, debating whether or not they should be dismembered. Uh, so yeah. it, it's, a, it's a tremendously uh, gruesome thing to think about, but there's always people who are excluded from that. And you know what? Men and children 
in many ways. I'd, I'd love to know about that. You know, we, we, we mentioned fathers already, but what about children? How responsive is grief and trauma care for children? Because it, whether there's a shooting, whether there's something that happens, we always hear about an army of school counselors that shows up and they make themselves avail- available to children. But you know what? Uh, I got to be honest with you, Michelle. Uh, psychiatry, psychology, all of it, it's very... It, it it makes me, I, it really, um, I don't trust very much of it. And I believe that pedi- uh, pediatric care, child psychology and psychiatry, all this stuff is linked in with, this, with the same feedback loop in schools and media and Hollywood and everything else that creates trauma and creates ridiculous ways of thinking that turns turns people into nutcases. So I, uh, I I wonder whatever I know that that we're falling we're failing our our men and our fathers. But when children get cha- care for for uh, trauma or for grief, how effective and how meaningful is that? Do you believe? Well, I think it depends on you know where they're going for their their care. You know, um, I I believe if I'm correct, therapists and counselors in general have about eight hours of bereavement so there's not a lot of knowledge in there so really when working with children that are grieving um, I personally don't work with children that are grieving I work with the parents to teach them how to work with children because it starts at home and I think that um, the more that the parents can get right with their loss and their grief the more they can teach their children how to grieve properly you know it's that it's that um it's that goldfish that dies while the child is at school and the mom runs out and buys a new goldfish and throws it in the tank and the child is none the wiser right yeah. like avoiding children uh, avoiding them to have to go through and feel loss on the small levels like the little goldfish in that child's eyes it's huge but the more we can work with children on the little things instead of hiding them from it right and then they're more it's like working a muscle right it's like the more they understand and feel comfortable with grief and loss and you know the parents are in incorporating them in the loss and they're all working together and supporting each other as a family you know in the perfect world right Mm -hmm. And that's really where it begins is how were we taught to grieve? What did our parents do? What did our grandparents do? What did the adults in our life do? Did they just push the kids off in the corner and say, don't worry about it. This is adult stuff. Or did they explain to the children what was going on and allow them to talk about it and, you know, draw it out, you know, whatever, whatever it takes. But to allow the child to understand, I believe children are our forgotten grievers because of our parental kind of narcissistic world we live in where it's all about that person. It's not about the children so much anymore. And we see that with, you know, like the trafficking, the, you know, sound of freedom, the, all the different ways children are abused within our society and forgotten about. Oh yeah. I mean, that, that, in a very limited way, very, I, even just this past week with all the incredible, um, the the incredible media confrontations about 
the 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 uh, Joe Biden and his seventh grandchild that was overlooked and just hot, trying to hide, um, you know, uh, children born uh, for, out of wedlock and things like that. And, and it's all just political micromanagement. Nobody really cares about anything. Um, if they if they did care, then nobody would be poo pooing anything like the uh, the Sound of Freedom movie and and calling uh, it a paranoid delusion about how whether or not this is really happening on a scale that they say it is, which it is. So you're right, you're right. There's there is a um, a whole lot of lipstick being put on this pig, and something's got to give. I really appreciate you being here with me tonight. I have one last question for you because your your bio stated. That you believe that re- grief recovery is the fastest, most useful method to vastly increase global sanity. Now, we definitely need that. So as a parting shot, what would you recommend to the world to, uh, to, to, to get away from the insanity and embrace what is a little bit more lasting and true? Turn off the TV and go out in nature and get right and ground yourself and, you know, really do some inner work and, um, you know, get back to basics, right? Get back to having dinners with your family and, you know, communicating, say the things that you need to say, take responsibility for your misbehaving or your inaction or, you know, um, just step up, step up to the plate, step up to the plate in this game called life and, and do it. I love that. I love that. I, I really do. Well, hey, that I, I think that's. And you know, they say when we're over the target, you know. Oh yeah, I know. It gets it get the, the news gets a little bit tighter. Well, Michelle Ridley, you've been a wonderful guest. I'm happy that you were here. Your your website is in the description of this episode. Uh, if there's nothing else, please go ahead. Let everybody know if you are you have any anything you're about to release, any kind of uh, events or appearances, anything you want to leave people with. Um, no, just reach out to me, and if you uh, if you um, mention Frank's podcast, then I'll work a um, price out with you better. Okay, a good price. Well, for hey. this this program that we can work through. If you guys, you know, it's a challenge. You know, it's a challenge. It's not easy to do this work. It's not easy to look at yourself and take responsibility. It's not easy to do that. We want to just keep going on, and but if you really want to experience life. Um, and the beauty of it, uh, look me up. And next time, next time when we catch up, it'll be a, an entire show of famous success stories because that's exactly what everybody needs to know right now. That would that that would be a wonderful night. Yeah, they can get on my um, my website and read some of the testimonials. You know, because that's really you know hearing it from the grievers themselves is really helpful. Well, I appreciate you, uh, Michelle. Have a wonderful night, and thank you so much for just being an audience member, but now a friend. It's been an honor, Frank. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Good luck, everyone. Yes, good luck indeed. Okay, take care. There goes Michelle. And ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go on an intermission break. When we come back, we're going to take your calls. Uh, I'll pose some topics. I want to know I want to know if you've you ever had to build your life back from nothing. Talk about grief. Talk about looking at a pile of rubble and saying, okay, well, it's time to get the work done. I want to know exactly what you, what kept you grounded and what breakthroughs and what things you learned about yourself. I know that for this audience, faith is going to be a big thing. I want to know also the heavy lifting in, in the, uh, 
in this terrestrial realm, what did you do? What did you do in a time that was just, it was all challenge? We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. The lines will be open, and whatever comes through, comes through. That's what I like. It's intermission time, folks. Time out to press the like button. Thank you. Welcome to Intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Yeah, Intermission. Quite frankly. 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 How dare you? Okay, nine one four. Two zero 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 two six nine nine one four two zero 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 two six nine. You can. I mean, there's a lot that was said, a lot that was said tonight, and whatever has really got you thinking, then please, please jump on in. There is an old thread that I put out uh, in, uh, I think it was October of last year. In October of last year, I put this one out. It says, have you ever lost it all? Did a financial catastrophe take you from an, the upper class to homeless? A bad divorce, an addiction, or anything else that took you on a wild ride to the bottom and forced you to refocus and rebuild your life from scratch? And there's a lot of really incredible stories in here. Some of them are very long. Some of them are just, they, they just get you right in the right in the feels um and i i would love for people to call on in to call in with whatever they have multiple here's one sully says multiple times i've had to rebuild lived on a farm in the 90s was red pilled due to the death sentence that was the uh policies that destroyed mine and the community's family farms i was 17 and I had to live at a friend's house to finish high school and sold my first car and gave the money to my mom to make the last payment before the sale closed. 
was in a band signed to an indie label when we went down to the president of the label in uh, embezzling. Embezzling from the company. Recorded with the likes of Bill Stevenson at the Blasting Room. Toured with National Axe and loved it, lived the life. Went to MMA after the band to get into artwork never I had never done. Was ramping up for my first fight after years of training and couldn't get cleared due to a neurological issue. Pineal gland. All in all, I gained more from the experiences than I could ever have lost. So I guess the, the post should be on a thread that is titled, Have you ever lost what you thought was everything, but it turned out for the best every single fucking time? I like that. I like that. Because, of course, you know, that is a that is a, a about perspective and resiliency as well. Because there's a lot of people after getting a brick wall after a while and not having any flexibility and not flowing with the uh, not going with the flow might just chalk it up to, well, my dreams have been dashed and there's nothing left. And that'll be something to grieve about. So I like reading about that. Let's take a call. Caller, you're on the air. Hi, Frank. Hi, who's this? This is Carolyn calling from Texas. Welcome, Carolyn. It's great to have you on. Thank you so much. Um, I just got home from work, and I heard your guest talking. Um, July the 1st, uh, my daughter went to sleep and never woke up. She was 44 years old. She hadn't taken the jab, so we really don't know what happened to her. The autopsy will come back in about six months. And I'm not going to lie, I've been, I was on the floor for seven days. Mm. I, could, I could not function. Um, never saw it coming. And the thing about sudden death like that is it's traumatic grief. And it's not something you get over easy. But at the end of the seven days, my heart was too tired to keep grieving. So I went back to work and I rested my heart by using my brain and I've been working you know for three weeks now and last Sunday I didn't have anyone call me it was very quiet and I was back on the floor Hmm. and I thought I just need to call someone I need someone to talk with me and then I heard in my head just sit in it just be in it and so that's what I did I cried I grieved, and the next day, I felt like I was letting her go. I had been trying to hold on to her for so long, and by letting her go, I set us both free. Hmm. So I just wanted to put that out there to you and your lovely audience. That, um, that it's survivable, but it is a journey. I expect hard days, and um, I expect good days. But she taught me a lot about life and about living. She changed my life when she was born. She changed my life again when she died. And I have to reconstruct my life without her. Um, well, Carolyn, I, 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 I appreciate you sharing this. And that is something else to to just Im- to sit in it. Um, yes. You know, that I, I think that, that goes back to that question about where is where are drugs really where are they helpful if if anywhere and and i know go ahead i had talked with friends who said just go get on some medication i was like you're not i don't need to numb my pain i need to 
cope and deal with my pain. My loss is my loss. I don't want to sugarcoat that. I don't want it to just get me further down the road. I want to heal. Mm. And the only way I'm going to heal is, you know, within my, within my head and my heart. Well, I know that was a big part of my friend Pam's issues after she lost her daughter um, back in 2006, and that was a, a big blow for all of us. And it's something that she um, she really had a hard time dealing with for a very long time. And of course, she she was using a lot of a lot of uh, prescribed drugs to help numb that and to help get her through. And I just always wonder. I just always because everybody's different too. Everybody is different, and right, the, the exactly. waves. And I, I know I had a ton of people praying for me and praying for my family. And, you know, I am, I'm a faithful woman, and I had been praying for like 2,700 days consecutively. I get up and I write in my journal, and I'm, I'm telling God, you know, what I've done, what I'm thankful for, and what I need. And I know that the prayers lifted me up, and... I today it's been like a whole solid week that I have felt normal. Hmm. She's still gone. She's still, you know, not here for me to talk to and I will miss her the the rest of my life. But I have a life to live and this I know she would want for me. She would want for her daughter, she would want for her husband that we're supposed to live just like she lived. She lived big. She did everything, and she just lived large in the respect that she was fully engaged with every day. And when she left, she changed everybody around her, and maybe that's what we're supposed to learn, is to not take things for granted, not take time for granted. Oh, yeah. So, I, 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 and I, pre- I appreciate you listening to me. I'm, I'm, I'm happy you got through, Carolyn. I'm happy you got through, and and please keep in touch because you know you got many thousands more praying for you tonight, so. I appreciate it, and you have a good evening, honey. Okay, take care. That's something. That's something. You know, I. that's another thing last year, too. There's a couple of days you want to talk about closure. Whatever the hell I was supposed to be doing for Skip last year, it was all July 18th. That was the biggest one. I mean, I was I was the, the go-to. I, I can't even tell you. I can't even go through all of the details of what was going on behind the scenes. And I, I've talked about it enough, but there's just some things everybody doesn't need to know. But I was on here July 18th. I think that was the night. There was a day that it happened. I don't know what happened that night. It was Rob was in studio with me. And it was the night that we talked about consent uh, or or about um, not consent about about. um, Oh, man, being an advocate, medical, being an advocate for somebody in the hospital that if I weren't there on July 18th, a day that I thought Skip was going to die right right in front of us right there something so horrible to to behold it was a rainy stormy terrible day um and i i went to the hospital rushed over there anthony was already there anthony was a was was someone who who didn't want that window to close so he can talk to skip and and get some things resolved 
And what that day, all the choices that I made on that day, because the doctors were telling me, listen, we can make him comfortable and we can take out his feeding tubes and he'll be dead within a week. And I, I laid the, the ground rules for what I wanted, what I wanted to continue on, and we'll just roll the dice. And what happened was 48 hours from then, we got a, a completely, he, he was back. By 48 hours later, his mind was back, the pain was gone, and I told Rob, I said, you uh, right there, I said, I don't know what we're going to have. I don't know what, what, what's going to happen from now, but I know that uh, even if it's just a couple of weeks that we have of him around, I mean, then let's, that's fine. And we did have just a couple of weeks before something, everything just fell apart. And those in those two weeks of clarity, of clarity it was just a lot of just a lot of good family talks going up there and managing our expectations knowing that he had a long road to get out just trying to keep him hopeful and and cleaning up any kind of messes that we all thought that we had with each other and that was huge it was hard but that was huge you know, I I think that's the last time I watched all the Rocky films. There was a Rocky marathon. Got to talk about that, and just it, it didn't work out. It didn't work out. It's it's very important. But I'll tell you, I, I told him then. I said I said Skip. I know there's a lot of people in this hospital right now, but nobody in this hospital has more people praying for him. And that's how you guys and gals were involved. And that's the other thing, too. You want to talk about nostalgia? I've been nostalgic for my trip to Myrtle Beach last year. The The day that we left was the day after Skip died. And I only left because he insisted about a week or two before that nothing stopped me from going there. And it was such, it was perfect. It was really great. A lot of time, a lot of uh, times out there on the beach, especially for sunrises, it was it was it was exactly what was necessary, and not not a drug, not a drug consumed, not a drug consumed, uh, not any prescribed ones anyway. <laughs> but I mean, who the hell knows? I want to take some more calls from people. What hit you tonight? What hit you tonight? What What do you think about moving through grief and 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 rebuilding from a, a low point in life. Tell me about a comeback story. That's what I want to hear about. 914-200-0269-200-0269. However you want to remember it, the lines are open. Let's go over to the Gilded because I see Albert hanging out in there. Albert, what's going on? Oh, everything hit me tonight, dude. It's like... uh you know, the whole grief thing was kind of a drag for me. I mean, my father committed suicide when I was like 15, but, but I didn't really process that. So, but the thing is, is my grandmother, when she, she was telling me, because she pretty much raised me and she was like, you know, Albert, when I die, if you uh if you're crying you're just gonna be crying for yourself because you feel sorry for yourself 
And I looked at her and I was like, well, you know, I was like, what? You know, anyways, long story short, she did end up dying in my arms. She died with a smile on her face and all that. And, uh, but I'm sitting there holding her and she's, you know, she's gone and I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, Albert, don't, you know, be strong. And, you know, you're just going to be crying for yourself. And I didn't want to do that. But then, you know, after a couple minutes, you know, I just broke down and I was just like, I want to feel sorry for myself for a few minutes. I mean, that's okay. You know, um, and yeah, you know, after after I did that and and processed it, I think it it's kind of like the um, you know the grieving process as it occurs to me is kind of like uh, the dude in True Romance, a guy from The Sopranos. You know, the first one is the bitch of the bunch. Um, if if it if it's somebody really close to you, yeah, you know, but it, 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 at least as that occurs to me, because I've had other deaths happen since then, because I'm like 56 now, and. Uh, that one was really the the one that 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 got you and i think that i think that um having somebody die close to you at a younger age is gonna affect that but having a child die boy i got no point of reference on that 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 may be you know horrific too we can only speak from our experience as far as the um as far as the abortion thing and dudes grieving um you know we as it occurs to me because I was young and uh, my first wife had an abortion and uh, I I was like totally for it but I think that that's like kind of like the um, the turkey pan uh, you know the grandmother would always cook the turkey in the small turkey pan and it's just how we were raised, you know? It's like, oh, if you're not ready, you're not this and that. And I did end up grieving about that later on in life going, you know, but it's, you know, I can't take it back. Um, but you have to process that and you always, you always wonder as well. And the same thing with the, and the same thing with the uh, foreskins and whatnot, um, because all my boys, I had them circumcised. And again, too, that's before, you know, we, you can only do with the information that you're aware of. Had we been born or had I been born at a different time or had the knowledge, Lisa said last night, boy, she showed me a picture of you know, of her in her twenties. And she was just like, you know, if, if I could have this mind and in that girl, boy, it would have been way different. And it wouldn't it have been that way for all of us, I guess. So, you know, do your best and fuck the rest. And dude, I could talk for hours. You want to talk about, uh, yeah. <laughs> comeback stories and whatever. I don't get, you ain't got time for it. Well, you I know, just wanted to throw that in. Let me, let me ask you one, one quick question before you go, because this is something that can carry on to other callers that come in after this. Uh, do you really believe, do you really believe that the only thing you'd be crying for grieving for is your, is there really no, no, no use or utility for expressing some kind of an involuntary emotional response that you know is not only just about you yes you miss them but you're thinking of it like 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 ray bradbury said in the beginning that that's so much more yeah it, it, you're 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 crying for the things that you're not going to have anymore but those things culminate in a they culminate and they they I don't know, they, they form such a dynamic 
profile of a person that is worthy of celebrating and 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 mourning the loss of is I I just I understand it I understand it that the the living mourn and it is a lot more of a selfish thing because obviously the dead they're they're off to their next great adventure and um, but there's got to be more than just it can't all be selfish is it yeah it's all selfish it's absolutely 100 percent selfishness if you think about it because just like what uh ray bradbury said um he said he you know he was crying for the things that he was going to miss yeah you miss the person but i mean it's like even my father i don't i don't even i can't even remember his face any longer the only reason i can remember my grandmother's face but the memories you you do have and that's what she was talking about is celebrating you know celebrate what you did have as opposed to and i know it's easy you know easy to say now you know but in the moment that's a whole different thing because the grief the grief is yeah at least as it occurs to me it's it's you're never going to have that person you're never going to have you know never going to have the things that he said you're never going to have them doing things and making cherry cheesecake and and being there for you and having those warm hugs and and things like that yeah you're you're crying for yourself you're grieving for you're feeling sorry for yourself but the the, the thing is is there's nothing wrong with that because this has been a part of you and especially if you're grieving deeply it's because it just shows how deeply that that those things were appreciated by by that person, if that makes sense, as it yeah. occurs to me. I can't speak for everyone. Well, you know, you know, and and thank you so much for the call, uh, Albert. It's always good to hear from you. I I think that perhaps there is a little bit more. Uh, there's a little bit more that has to be considered about who's the. I, I know grief; it, it goes beyond death. You can grieve tons of different things, um, but in this particular case, I think it also has to do with how the person died, how much time you think they should have had or they could have had, and whether or not they really suffered. And and things like that are just obviously you just you're sorry that that's the way that they had to go. There are there are there are thoughts like that too. That isn't all about what you wish you had for yourself. Uh, let's see here. Let's take another call. 314, you're on the air. Holy shit, Frank. Hey. Hi. Hey. Pardon my friend. It's all right. Yeah. Who's this? Full moon. Anything can happen with full moon, man. I think there's two this month. Anyway, great guest again. And actually, you're a great interviewer, too. I'm throw that out there. Oh, thank you. But... Uh, you just, uh, by about, the way, uh, by the way, you just you just checked two bingo boxes for somebody out there, because you compliment <laughs> you complimented me and you said something yeah. about uh, you know I can't believe you got in so you, you just checked somebody's bingo box. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't even know I was in the game, but uh, hey, uh, when she was talking about grieving, it's it's really elementary to growing up, right? Yeah. As a child. So we should talking about parent, let them grieve. I mean, and then talk about their accountability in the situation, right? So anyway, you're talking about, have you ever had, dude, I used to make like $6,000 a month. This is about two years ago. 
Can you can you I'm talk a, 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 in Canada? Yeah. Can you talk a little yeah. bit a little bit uh, directly more directly into the the receiver, please? Uh, I went from rags to riches to rags, and then riches again. But the only way out of it was what she was talking about is what was my accountability in the situation. So that kind of hit me there. I if I don't go into the details, you don't mind, but I. Like, I was on a pipeline, and I got in a fist fight with this dude. And it was like $6,000 a month, and everybody's happy. Nobody, no reason to fight, but this guy kept coming on to me, right? So I had to do something. And then the foreman took his side, and I was out. And okay, hold on. The caller, caller, the, your, caller your, your, your audio is not very good, so I want to make sure I got all this right. Uh, you had a really good job, $6,000 a month. You got into a fist fight with somebody. Uh, the foreman took his side, and you pretty much lost your job, and that put you in, in the basement. Yeah, like homeless. And, and then you I, built yourself back I, from that? Yeah, I did. Okay. I back, but the only way I got back was what she was talking about, grieving and taking accountability, my accountability and forgiving myself. And the other person. Well, you, you know, know, that's a very big thing. That's a very big thing yeah. there because, and and I appreciate the call because the accountability thing. I'm sure that that Michelle, um, we, we were. I mean, that's what a little bit of the the details that I was looking for, right there too. Accountability is a huge thing. Like, what was your role in it? Because especially our caller from Canada, right there, he could have gone on a bender where the world owed him something from there on in. And then uh, all the reasons why he got into that fist fight were, you know, he just started expanding the reasons why, entrenching himself in there. All of a sudden, 25 years goes by, and he's got a chip on his shoulder that could could have, you know, saved him a lot of problems if he just looked at it and said this was a stupid exchange, should have never done it, I'm sorry for my part in it, and blah, 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 and it was a justified firing for this stupid fist fight. As hard as that losing that job was, but that is something that is a little bit of grief that you can carry around with you that could be a little chip that'll turn into a monster if you can just face it in the eye and call it what it is. All right, let's take another call from the Gilded. Freebie, what's going on? And Freebie was bounced out because the only one who can get through on Gilded is Albert. How is that the how Abe? Can somebody figure this out? How is Albert the only one who can call in? No, no, Jerry did it once. What is the setting? This has got to this has got to change. What is the setting? On Gilded with the with the calls. This has got to get figured out. Let's take a call. What is going on? Hello, you're there. Caller, you're on the air. Yeah. Hello. Frank. Yes, who's this? It's Frank. Hey, Frank, this is Jake. Jake, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on the show, man. Uh, it took a lot of guts for me to call in tonight. Um, I've emailed with you in the past. Uh, I'm here from Michigan here. We've been years watching the show. But uh, I just wanted to share my story with your with the, with the audience and stuff. Um, okay, Jake. Three. Jake, before before you yeah. okay before you go. First of all, I'm so happy you got through, and I'm happy you've been hanging out with me all this time. Yep. A, are you? Uh, if you're not on a speakerphone, then please talk a little bit more directly into the receiver. Because no. 
Yeah, I was trying to avoid the bingo checkbox tonight, and I just hit it. I was on speakerphone. I apologize. Okay, I, I, yeah, I just want to make sure we can hear you clearly and loudly. Yeah. You're a little bit better now. Just speak yeah. right into it. Go ahead. Yep, so I just want to talk to people about grief. Um, about two years ago now, uh, I lost my son in a tra tragic uh, tragic car accident. Um, <clears throat> and then shortly after that, um, my marriage fell, fell apart, uh, got divorced, uh, turned to drinking, um, lost control, uh, basically ended up with a DUI. Um, that was probably one of the best things that could have happened to me because it forced me into a state of sobriety to where I had a clear thinking mind and I was able to actually work through my grief of losing my son, losing my marriage, and just everything falling apart within a two-year time period. Um, so now I've came to the point where I've, I'm eight months sober. Um, I've went full tilt into taking care of myself, my body, putting only in the good, pushing it all out, all the bad, um, just grounding myself, meditating, um, getting out in nature, uh, getting out in my garden, um, playing with electroculture. I know you've done shows on electroculture and everything. Um, I use that as like my, my back garden is like this energetic Zen garden that I can sit in. I can meditate. I can push out the bad things from the day, the things that the grief that comes back in on a daily basis. Because one thing I tell people, cause I've had a few friends that lost kids in the last, uh, in the last year and a half. And I tell them that it doesn't, it doesn't get easier losing a child. It just gets different. And those feelings get different. You never, you never fully get rid of that, that, that grief, and that sadness, and that loss of that child. But things just change. It, it, I don't want to say it gets, it gets easier. It just gets different. Those emotions are different. Well, so I don't know if that makes sense. It, it, it does in a way, but I would love for you to, if you could, if there's any way to explain it, I would, what do you think, aside from the sobriety, um, the, the the fact that you don't have any substances that are there to, in some way, <coughs> change your the, the way that you feel and and to regulate your mood through one way or another. How has it how has it become different? Is it is it just a dull ache? Is it like what instead of something that's sharp and acute? Um, or or what 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 would you say? Um, I would say that. I guess when I when I when I got sober, I started seeing a counselor, um, and that helped out because I was able to talk about my feelings and how how deep like I was hurting, um, and just being able to get that you know voicing that out rather than holding it all inside, mm. I was able to voice that on out and just talk about it, um, and they just gave me that outlet to be able to talk about it. So as I'm as I'm talking about that, because I, I had like the duel, I had I lost my marriage and I lost a child, so I was upset about both those situations, and so my counsel just kind of tackled one first, which was the divorce aspect first, is what she wanted to tackle first and take that out because that wasn't um, like an actual physical loss of a child; yeah. it was just a loss of a marriage. She's still there, but I, you know, I, my, you know, my son's not, so. She eliminated that aspect of it all, and, and then once that happened, me being able to process that aspect of it helped me better process the loss of my child. I, you know, I still go out and I see him. You know, I go out to the cemetery and I visit with him on a weekly basis, and I sit there and I and I talk to him in, in that conversation. 
Um, and I, I, I've become a lot more spiritual in that aspect of things to where I go out there and I talk to them and I have conversations with them. And that's soothing in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, do I miss being able to have that one-on-one personal talk where he's talking back? Yeah, I do. But I still, I still feel that he's there. Um, I've had two instances now where he's coming to me in dreams. Um, one of them was the last one. He was about 12 years old. He was 17 when he passed away. But he was about 12 years old. We're in a gymnasium basketball game. He's in his basketball uniform, and he just looks up at me with his big old smiling grin and just smiles at me. And just, it was, I woke up bawling my eyes out because, not with sadness, but with joy because it was the, it was a smile of that he's happy, that he's in a good place, and that he's going to be there waiting for us when we, when we do, you know, and end out of this world, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, for me to really sit there and say how the, how, um, how it's different it's really hard to really be able to pinpoint and say that it. Well, you know, you, you, you don't, you don't, you know what, Jake? You, you, uh, maybe that was a little unfair for me to, to, to ask you. I, I was curious, and I think that along the way of your just, just you know, talking, I, I got an understanding of of where that is. First of all, I know that just from from moving past the the initial just the 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 collapsing of the relationship with the wife and everything and the and the death that you experienced and then of course the alcoholism there is just a number one you're 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 able to actually feel real feelings again and there that confusion and that 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 uh, that dullness is gone so the that in itself that clarity in itself is so big and i'm happy for you and I, I'm I uh, I'm I'm sorry for your loss, and I'm really happy that you got through tonight. And I appreciate you calling. Yep, and I appreciate you having me on, Frank. Um, I just want to do say I do have to say I love your show. I've been a listener for probably about five years. I've loved the actual you know watching you grow, uh, not only as a podcast but as a host of a show, and it's been amazing. I listen to you every day at work on podcasts. I try to tune in every night that I can, and I heard that you were having a grief counselor on, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to call in and I'm going to share my story tonight. I appreciate you taking my call. Well, I hope you call in more in the future. It would be great to great to see your number pop up and and talk about uh, you know any of the other stuff that we uh, we fill our time with. Okay. Yep, absolutely, Frank. You have a wonderful night. Okay, take care. Let's take another call. Who is this? Two o two. You're on the air. This is Hot Legs, Frank. Hey, what's going on, Hot Legs? Great to have you on. Thank you very much, and thanks for uh, reading my message earlier. Yes, yes, she yes. Was, she was great. And she was let, great. Let me um, also just say that you—I know that you were—you were at the uh, the you were at the Myrtle Beach Dark Delight Extravaganza last year. This year, you were meeting true. you, meeting you, you meeting Lauren and everybody, and all of us to get together. That was really one of the uh, meeting people like you was really help me uh get through that week it was really great so i'm happy you're calling in so what's on your mind well i i want to follow up sort of on the comments that i made earlier that you read um and some of the things that she said that really caught me just even talking about this i'm very emotional but um that the whole situation about losing my dad at 26 would really have been a lot different for me if my parents had talked about death 
they never prepared me at all for the fact that they were going to die. I mean, I was 26, so I knew they were going to die. But emotionally is different than intellectually. And we never discussed that at all. So when he went into the hospital, it was Halloween and he was dead by Veterans Day. And, and I just couldn't catch up with it. You know, I didn't even understand it was going to happen. Yeah. Really. And, and what that would be like. So I, I really think it's important for parents to have discussions about even losses in their own life or something, or just even to address it at all, because we just never did. So I, I was just thrown for a loop with it. But so prisoner of my sorrow is something that she said. And I, I really connected with that because that's what I felt like. I spent all of my time taking care of everybody else around the death and not myself, you know, my mother and my sisters and all of the drama that goes on when you, you lose somebody, as I'm sure you know, there's just chaos. And so for me as a caretaker personality, I was taking care of everybody else and then my body was just falling to pieces. So, and you talked about the acupressure and the acupuncture and that story, doing that work. Yeah, that story right there is is is, is incredible. Only especially because you, like I said to Michelle when she was on before, for you or anybody to go into an acupressure session and just wanting to get physically tuned up, it's not like you were seeking out a therapist to talk about the death no. of, the death of your father. <laughs> so so for for just to have some part of your body a pressure point uh, touched and to have all of this grief that you knew you had the clarity of exactly what it was just pour out of you like it was a a, a thing that was being physically held back that is just so um that's just so incredible and, and another testament to the intelligence of the human body it, it as a mechanism it's just it's just so um it's bizarre and fascinating at the same time well it was bizarre and i'm not sure that i actually did know what was going on i had to ask her like when I got done howling and snotty nose and everything, what the hell was that? And she said, I hit your lung already and it's your dad. <laughs> just floored me. So I'm like, no, I don't want to do that again. So stop. Don't just don't do that again. It was just out of control. But I was on gabapentin. I was on antidepressants. I was just trying to deal with, they thought I was crazy, but I just needed to deal with my grief. That's all. I needed to work through it and not hide it with drugs you know that's mm -hmm. just what people do the the other thing about nostalgia equaling grief you know i, I just it really is that's what i wrote to you and it really is in a way um but the lost piece of it i don't think people understand about the, you can't touch that person anymore and to me that is like the relationship it feels like a brick wall has come down and you can't do anything with it and i'm sure you understand what i'm saying it's i like, do okay, all of that other crap, but I just want to touch them one more time. I used to say, if I could stuff my dad like a like an animal and put him on the picnic table, just if I could see him every day, that would just make a huge difference. But I, I don't want to go on and on. The, the other thing I want to say is that, that over the years, my mother died in my arms, so I had a different experience a couple of years ago. With that process, I was prepared for it, but now what I want to do when I retire is I want to work at hospice. Oh, because I feel like I have gained through the years a, a respect for helping people pass spiritually and to help their families deal with it. And it was this experience because I was just a moron about what was going on. But they won't let you work in hospice until at least a year after you've lost somebody. And so she was saying something about that, too. You're just so raw 
and and you overcompensate and you want to help people by helping yourself and they don't want they want the boundaries to be very clear so you need to deal with your own grief before you try to help other people that's really incredible i didn't i didn't know about that that period of time for hospice and and i'll yeah, tell you are. that that is a be a hospice nurses and people who are there and that is what they want to be doing that is a very very special line of work um i, I mean i've I, I, even on the on the air on the the network, there has been nights that we have aired compilations of hospice nurses and the things that they have seen, the things that that tell them. I mean, wait wait until these these shows in September. Incredible. Oh, the, the, wait until the shows in September. In late September, when we have uh, uh, Nurse Penny on to talk about her NDE, the next night uh, we have Evan Al- Alexander to talk about the proof of heaven, and I mean, it's going to be a, a really special September. I can't wait for that. I can't wait either. So I'm, I hope this helped somebody. It did. Um, there's just a lot of things you can do, and people really want to help, but and then if you have a spirit for that and you work through it, then just go do it. Well, thank you for all the contributions tonight, Hot Legs. It's been a wonderful time <laughs> with you uh, in text and in call. Thanks for liking my legs. Take care. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. There you go. Uh, if everybody wants a backstory on that, she told me that Rod Stewart gave her that nickname. So there you have it. Rod Stewart gave her that name. Where is the... Here's another one I got. Then I'm going to go to some Super Chats. Now the calls are flooding in. And we got 15 minutes left. All right, let's just take a uh, let's take a call here. What is going on? You are on the air. Who's this? Hey, Frank. This is Shannon. Shannon, what's going on? Uh, just frying up some chicken for dinner. <laughs> okay. So what's on your mind tonight? Well, uh, number one, so uh, you're doing the raffle thing now so that I don't win any more of your freaking books, right? What do you mean? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How many do you have, have, uh, do you have now? Two? <laughs> yes. This is, everybody, this yeah. is this is Phil's WW, uh, everybody. She has won two uh, <laughs> book club <laughs> raffles. Uh, when, when, Lauren pulled, when Lauren pulled the Shoeless Joe one out, uh, Shannon, she said it, she she pulled it out at home, and uh, and she said, "Phil's WW." I said, "Are you serious?" I said, "Man, that 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 girl's got some luck." She goes, "Well, you want me to pull another one?" I said, "No, she won, she won, but she won the other book." <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you you read my my email about that, right? Because I, when I heard that Matt wasn't going to pull it, I was like, "Fuck!" Oh, sorry, it's a- um, I was like, "Dad, gun it." I was like, well, I'm not going to win this one. Oh, yeah. And then, and then it was like another week or so, and and then you had Lauren in Aurora pull it. And then, Even better and, luck. And I was a couple days later, and I was like, I, I, and remember, I told you, I, I emailed you right yeah. there because I was like listening to it like two days later, and I just started crying on the way to work. I was like, I cannot believe this is so freaking weird. Well, I'm happy. I'm things and, and and it's a god thing man i don't know what it is but it, it is because, well, and that on that day i needed that so, spe- speaking I mean, of speaking of were you working through grief that day is there anything that you wanted to uh to to leave us with uh on tonight's topics oh because i heard how emotional you got when you won that book i was wondering if you were working through something like something relating what? to tonight's show 
Uh, well, dude, I, I'm the green thing. I could like talk to you for hours, which I actually sent you like pages of an email, which you probably like totally deleted back in February. But and you would understand what I'm talking about now. But um, anyway, that's that's here or there. Okay. Um, but yeah. So. Um, so you like tonight's show then? Because I want I want yeah. I just want to get a couple more people, and if you if it's just general thoughts, that's fine too. Well, no, like losing children. Um, so, like, you don't have to lose them in death. You can lose them, like, in a bad divorce or just their dad being a piece of crap that totally disillusions them, and you've dedicated your entire fucking life to them, and and then they just turn on you, and you lose three out of four children, and... It's like a death where you don't have any kind of connection with them anymore. And it was like years and years and years where it was just like I wanted to kill myself. It was so bad. And Satan knew it, too, and he, he really messed with me. And, and we've and, talked about that in different times. But, um, yeah. And, so and, cool. and you've been able to reconnect with them in, in years since? No. So three, no. Out, three out of four. <laughs> three out of four children. Yeah. Three they out have of four. Okay. But I have a grandchild now that is from my marriage with Bill, my my marriage now, and that child is like the light of my life. She's a couple a couple months younger than Aurora, so that's why I'm always sending. Whenever I send Layton something, I send Aurora something too, because I feel like they're kind of I don't know. It's weird. I'm sorry, but um, yeah. And so that child, oh my goodness. She is the light of my life, and we just love her, and and she just brings, oh. Well, I'm oh, happy. God. I'm happy to hear that. I'm happy to hear that, Shannon. It, it's it's one of those things. I'm glad, I'm glad you bring that, that point up because that's one that I don't think has been hit yet, and thank you for the call. I have to move on to somebody else, but email me, and I hope you're well, and enjoy the book. Um, losing somebody in a very... What seems to be a permanent way, though you can say, hey, nothing's permanent. Nothing's permanent. If they're walking the earth, nothing's permanent. Well, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know if you've, you've experienced the kind of psychotic breaks that I, I have seen tear families and different branches of the family tree apart. But there's no bringing some people back together for one reason or another. And for a mother to be separated what seems to be permanently from three out of four children. Who knows? Father, it, it happens. And those are people who walk the earth still. Uh, there's a little bit more on this end. I received an email. This is from... I don't know. It said, Frank, you've been grieving the old days and the old ways. Uh, our childhood days and wondering if uh, if we will ever get to go back to days like that. I really believe that part of nostalgic longing for you is surfacing now more than ever because you are watching your own child grow up and wishing she was going to have a world less troubled to grow up in. And I uh, totally understand it and I feel the same. Maybe. That's definitely a part of it. I mean, there's a, there's there's a little bit of brimming anxiety beneath the surface that you know that all of the bigger responsibilities you have to a child now to a family but one of those things is you want to be able to make sure that the magic you felt is something that they would be able to recall on you'd have that in common and i i i think that she's had that in the holidays i i think that she's had that 
I mean, she watches all the same things we did. Um, but as far as her being released into a world, well, I, I mean, well, let's just keep reading. But I want you to know, the children that are born in this generation to people like us, they have such a big advantage because they were chosen by God. Yes, they were also chosen by us. We live in the time when being pro-life is really important because God is trying to give mankind hope and a future, and the enemy is trying to destroy that hope and a future. Our children were born in a time that is meant for them, whether we know it or not, yet God sent them here to earth to people like us for a reason. They were very well may be the generation, they very well may be the generation that gets to see things get very real. Plus, these children are already so much smarter than we were. They're coming into a world where parents like us would prefer to hum- homeschool them, eh. not taint their blood with poison at the doctor's office. Mm-hmm. Watch what they eat and drink and watch very carefully who we allow in their lives, protecting them from predators, teaching them the most important lessons. So we have to take a deep breath and realize these children have incredibly strong instincts because their parents are teaching them how to survive in this world. Damn good. Damn good. Yes. Lauren and I were talking about this the other night Uh, as we were driving home. From we went to dinner somewhere, it, I think it was over the weekend, and we were discussing Aurora in the back seat. Just, I, I think I might have been just like, one of us was just commenting about how lucky she is, and I think that that quickly turned into how much better she had it than we did, and not that we grew up in in a bad situation, but our parents were not paying attention to what we were. To what we are none nothing it, it, for all the pretty much all the reasons that were li- listed right there what is being taught the kind of language is being used understanding energy um contemplating god pharmaceuticals uh filtered water going out of our way to make sure that the entire household is separated from the public water supply. Um, There's just so much. There is so much. It's true. And if that is really something that gets them to, you know, that, that prepares them, that prepares them to be even bolder than we were, here we are clawing our way out of the matrix, taking that red pill, that racist red pill. Yeah, and I, I can see how that ties in with the, the nostalgia thing. And I think there is something there to it. But it really, it's not why, I understand why nostalgia is getting painful for, for people. Not necessarily for me, but I understand why it's getting painful for people. Okay, so, um, and that's that. And the old ways... There's some stuff about the old ways. I mean, she's getting all the old all the old movies, all the old cartoons whenever she does get some television time. So she's getting some of the old ways. And uh, I think that's a really great outlook as far as the children that are born in this generation and what they're being prepared for and what they've, they've in a way, a great way, been chosen for. That's a very calming thought. And it... Um, it allays some anxiety, no doubt about it.
All right, uh, 8.53, let's see. <clears throat> Stostube says, hey, look at that. It's 7 to 9 p.m. on a weekday, and we meet again. Hmm, what shall we do? I got it. Send a super chat, of course. In support of great independent media, always. Ex excellent show tonight once again, as the usual. Thank you, Frank. I'm so appreciative. I know this is going to be a... Um, you know, people are looking for indictment talk and all that stuff, but we have to do... We have to do uh, what we got to do. This is important as well. Larkstar says, like someone posted in the chat, quite frankly, is so much more than just a podcast. Very special to be part of the Quite Frankly TV family. We stay together. Oh, I'm happy that someone said that. And I'm happy that you agree, Lark. Thank you. You've been around for years, and I appreciate you. Dan Schumann says, great week, Frank. I barely heard a swear word out of you. Great job, brother. You notice that? And did, 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 did it suffer? Did the show suffer? I'm trying. Okay? I'm trying. <laughs> I'm glad. So, Did anybody else take note of that? I've got post-it notes all over the place. Watch your mouth. Watch your tone. Save the curse words. Okay? I don't say eliminate them. I say save them. Okay? Blue... <laughs> Thank you so much, Dan. Blue Ridge Commentary says all the darkness in the world cannot put out the light of a single candle. And then Hello Kitty says, Frank, hiya, darling. Chat room, hey, y'all. I miss you and pray everyone is doing well, Frank. Uh, I have been a sponsor for years now. However, I, how do I do the book club thing? Dwayne and I actually want to be a part of August Book Club. If you're a sponsor, it's simple. If you're signed up on either Subscribestar or Patreon, the day of whether it is a uh, Sunday stream or if it's the day of a book club session, I post those right there in a public post for, you know, it's behind the paywall for people who are subscribers. So it's right there. That's on Subscribestar or Patreon, which honestly, if you're not going to subscribe through quitefrankly.tv, I would say Subscribestar. Because then it eliminates all need for email correspondence and any kind of threat of there being, ever being a spam filter picking up emails in the, in the future. If you sign up through quitefrankly.tv, then all you need to make sure you clicked um, receive marketing when you sign up because receive marketing is just pretty much permission to, for me to email you and that's just your links for Sunday afternoon and for things like book club and if you're signed up as a monthly subscriber through Foxhole I send those in, in a uh, group private message every time that there is an exclusive stream about to be you know be launched so if you've been a if you've been a uh, subscriber for years I would say have you ever gotten any Sunday stream links and if not, you should have gotten in touch with me a lot sooner because there's something wrong. So um, if it's through quitefrankly.tv, I would look in your spam filters because email is what it is. But if you just mind those filters, then we'll, we'll be fine. All right. All right, that's all I have for you. Now, uh, over on Rumble, let me see how everybody's doing. There's some Rumble rants there. Fredo Awakening says, you mentioned... You mentioned Trump in jail cell. Is that even possible? All president, there's some Whoa. All presidents require Secret Service detail at all times, so would they have to throw a Secret Service agent in there with him? Uh, in the cell with them? No. But on the, out, the, you know, the outside of the cell, be with them during lunch and everything else, they would be companions. Take shifts, perhaps. 
hey, I, I don't want it to happen, but they're trying to make it happen. They're trying to make something stick. And um, and with the 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 courts and the judges and the juries that they're going to be able to pull aside for these latest indictments, they're going to get a guilty verdict somewhere. I, I mean, especially in Washington D.C., the people that they get, people are going to lie about how moderate they are just to get on that jury so they can say to their grandchildren, I was one of the uh, the jurors that sent that man to jail. You know it's going to happen. Uh, but that's not the case. Uh, it's not the, the be-all, end-all. Uh, obviously, Donald Trump, I don't know what he and his defense team are, are cooking up right now, but one of the contingencies has to be just planning for the appeals process. You're going to have to keep appealing until you get the hell out of Washington, D.C. You're going to have to. But this is really all about uh, God knows. What, oh, my gosh. Do you know you want to talk about reliving the year prior and then projecting backwards when, you know, we were talking about death and all that other stuff. But imagine, imagine the omniscience that we are going to have on August 3rd, 2024. Imagine what we are going to have already seen for the first seven months. This first seven full months of 2024. Oh, man, strap in. Strap in for next year. Who the hell even knows? It's not going to be anything we're going to be able to predict. That's my prediction. It's going to be completely unpredictable. Some things you'll be able to put money on, but there's going to be so many X factors that come out of nowhere. Wow, 2024. Quite frankly, 2024 season? Boy, oh boy. Uh, 925 Wild G says liminal grief. There, Yeah, you know, I'm surprised that liminal... Uh, spaces and all that stuff has not popped up until right now. Thank you for that, G. Um, Jay Semo says, wow, what a show. Thank you, Jay. I can't wait to get back on Monday night. That's going to be a show, too. We'll have, uh, we will have a Zoso Dude sitting in here with me as he makes his way across the country on his motorcycle, and we'll be talking about best and worst concert experiences and whatever else comes up along the way. That's another one that's going to be heavy on the audience interaction. Rook Castle says, Wells Fargo announced they are getting out of the mortgage business. Oh, boy. Now, everybody get out of debt as, fa as fast as possible. Jesse81138, thank you. Paulie says, good grief. Charlie Brown said it with a sigh. Thank you, Robert Sarns. Thank you, Porpoiseful. And Stostube sent an EMP, blew my head apart. Said, I heard Dan Schumann's name, and I had to let him know he did this. Also, happy birthday to Doc Keck coming up this weekend. Can we get an EMP? Doc, I did not know it was your birthday, but I, I, I hope we talk with you soon. I, I want to follow up with all of your great work. I'm so proud of the people that are in the, in, the, uh, in the audience, the people who stay in touch, who are dutifully working out there and have become friends. So... I'm looking forward to next week, and I hope you guys have a great weekend. That's all I have for you right now. Um, yeah. So I will do some live streaming from the parking lot at Giant Stadium. Hopefully there is some there's some, there's some coverage out there. I don't know. It also seems like it's going to be raining. I really hope I'm not sitting. I'm not, I'm, I hope I'm not sitting in the rain for four hours, five hours. I really hope I'm not. 
but we'll see what happens. I'll be in touch somehow, and uh, Monday will be here before you know it. So, ladies and gentlemen, have a good one. Stay in touch over the weekend. You can email me at quitefranklypodcast@gmail.com. You can send a super chat over the weekend, quitefranklysuperchat.com, and I'll read it on the show on Monday. Things like that. It's a go. Read your books. Do your homework. Get into the Gilded and get on over to quitefrankly.tv throughout the, uh, the weekend as well. There's always going to be something good waiting for you, and I appreciate you all. Good night, and thank you for the love. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience. And now, our super chatter, starting with Stostube, Larkstar, Dan Schumann, Blue Ridge Commentary, Hello Kitty SKS, thank you to Jay Semo, and to 925 Wild G, and also to Freight Awakening. Thank you to my guest tonight, Michelle Ridley, and all of the wonderful calls that came in afterwards. It was... Um, it was a very good experience, and I'm, I'm hoping that you all are well for the weekend. We will see you soon. Good night, and get to quitefrankly.tv. But be one of these if you can. In duty ne'er fail, you will find twill avail you and bring its reward when a man. Don't think life plain sailing, there's danger of failing, though bright the future seem to be. But bright honor and labor and truth to your neighbor will bear you safe over life's seas. Then up and be doing, right only pursuing, and take your fair part in the strife. Be honest and true, boys, whatever you do, boys. Let this be your motto through life. Nectar'ın okuma mesajı... Nectar'ın okuma mesajı ne ya?